Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Good morning. Good morning. Is this the wrong microphone? Never mind. Hello, good morning. All right, everybody, uh, go ahead and finish getting your drinks there, whatever you're doing, and, and come have a seat, please. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. When y'all, when is the event? Okay. Okay. All right. When is the, when do y'all leave? Y'all leave today? Friday through when? Okay. All right. And the total is going to be how much for them? All right. All right. Um, here we go. Before we get going, we got a couple of announcements. We have actually have a lot. We actually have four announcements, and some of these are pretty exciting. So um, there is still a spot left if anybody's interested in going to the Women of Faith Conference. Um, some of you guys, maybe, single guys, that's a good place to go. Uh, Women of Faith, talk to Kimberly if you're interested in going to that. Um, the other thing we have is n- we have one more Sunday where we have church on Sunday. And then the following Sunday is our Don't Just Go to Church, Be to Church Sunday. Um, and what we're doing is we're actually going to, we're not going to have church here. We're all going to go to Walmart um, and give out hot dogs. We're also going to be giving out popsicles and things like that um, for the kids to eat. Parents, I guess, can have popsicles. But it's going to be free, so we're not going to be selling it. But we need a lot of people to volunteer. So if you have your cards, any kind of card, do you all have registration cards in hand? Hold them up if you have registration cards. Flap them around in the air. Beautiful. Okay. If you are interested in helping us, um, it's going to be September 2nd. On the back, just write Walmart. If you're interested in helping us with that, it's going to be from 1030 to 1. We're not going to have church, so there's going to be nothing else for you to do. So write Walmart on the back of your card if you're interested in that. Does anybody need registration cards or papers? Do you have enough? Anybody raise your hand if you don't have one? Okay, great. Um, the other thing that we have coming up is uh, after we finish, after we go to Walmart and skip church, we're starting a new series. Uh, it's actually called Dare You to Move. And we're going to be looking at different ways that God, um, that God calls us to move in our lives. Is it loud in here or is it just loud right here? All right. I feel like a teacher now. That's bad. I'm going to have somebody take names for me later today. So. Okay. Um, after we finish, after we skip church and go to Walmart on uh, September second, September 9th, we are starting a new series, and it is called "Dare You to Move." And we're going to be talking about the ways that God calls us, um, t- the, the way that God challenges us to move to different spots in our lives, whether it's spiritually, um, whether it's financially, and actually physically, a lot of times as well. We're gonna, we're looking at a new building. Um, and that's one of the things that we're going to be doing is moving maybe from this location to another location. We still have some other things to take care of, um, but but that's one of the things we're going to cover. Nick, how you doing, man? You good? All right. Um, all right. This is why we have children downstairs, everybody. It's not just Nicholas. Don't look at him because your kids would be running around, too. I know mine would be. So um, so the other thing, uh, after we finish that series, we have a new series. It's going to be a marriage series, and it's called... 
Two to tango. Just making sure you're paying attention. Two to tango. Uh, we're going to be tying it into a whole dance theme. And so some of you are like, I don't dance. That's okay if you don't dance. What we're going to do is actually Sunday nights, we're going to have dance lessons up here at the church. And so it's not going to be like freaky bump and grind dancing or anything like that. It's going to be the more formal ballroom dancing. So it's not quite that scandalous. Um, but our small groups, we're going to be meeting on Sunday night, um, and, and we're going to do is after on Sunday evenings, we're going to have dance lessons for an hour, and then after that, we're going to have small group for an hour. Um, and if you're not married, it's okay. You can still come. The series will still apply. It'll apply with relationships. Um, it'll apply if you're going to get married again. It'll apply if you just hate men, and you're like, I hate men. This will help you hate men less. Okay, so there's nobody that's like, I hate women. I've never met a guy who's like, I hate women. But um, so this series will help everybody. And um, and so that's kind of what we're doing the next couple of weeks. Um, What we did last week, I don't know how many of y'all were here last week. Raise your hand. Hi. All right. Great. Some of y'all. What we did last week, we've been doing this series um, called Just Walk Across the Room. And we've been talking about how God a lot of times calls us to do that, to walk across the room and to befriend people. to, to share our lives with them, not just to walk up to them and say, hey, Jesus loves you. You need to come to our church and walk away. Um, that's not effective. Um, what is effective is whenever we, we encounter people and we decide that we want to invest some of our time with them and we want to invest our life with them. Um, and sometimes that's hard. And what we did last week is we asked people to write down on the back of the cards. Um, we admit it, sometimes it's hard for us to do that because we, we say we don't like people that look a certain way, that smell a certain way. Um, and, and what we did is we asked you to write that down, to be real honest. And, and what we do is we got all those and we've, we kind of formed a list. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to look over this. These are people that we said we are not comfortable um, talking to in our world. So cheaters, uh, child molesters, divorced people, drunk people, family. Somebody said, I, I don't want to talk to my family <laughs> about God or anything. Um, that's probably pretty true for a lot of us. Fat people. Uh, greedy people, homosexuals, illegal immigrants, inmates, lazy people, lower class people, men. <laughs> Thank you. Half of us. All right. Uh, people with messy problems. We just said, you know, I, that's not worth my time. Militant Muslims, uh, people with physical abnormalities, rapists, rich people, selfish people, smelly people. Strippers, white trash. Um, Drew, leave that up there for me. And what's what? It, I mean, it's funny if you look at this, and it's also just really sad if you think about it, because this is pretty much everybody. Um, I'm pretty sure almost everybody in this room would fall into one of these categories. Um, and and what we said is that, I mean, we're all on somebody's list. We are all. There's always going to be somebody who looks at us and thinks uh, that's not the kind of person I want to hang out with. But God, Jesus was completely opposite of that. When he was here on earth, uh, he walked up to anybody and befriended them. And what we found and what we've learned is that the, the reason that our hearts are cold towards these types of people is because we don't know anybody like this a lot of times. We just see them and we make a lot of assumptions about them. Um, Doug shared last week that he, he had just kind of this preconceived notion that, you know, if a woman had committed an abortion, then that was it. She, she wasn't worth talking to. She was messed up for life. But then God brought somebody into his youth group who had committed an abortion. And his heart became warm towards that. And now he's got a tenderness towards that. Um, and I, I mean, I, if I look over this list, a lot of you people, um, some of you all fall into these categories. 
Um, and some of y'all look around and you're like, I, that person I don't like. Um, I was I was actually I'm looking over this list and there's three or four things that I fall into. Uh, I used to be lower class growing up. We didn't have any money at all. And I remember people looking down on me for being lower class. Um, now I'm, I'm not rich per se, but I know that I make more money than other people. And I'm sure those people look down on me for that. Um, I was an illegal immigrant for probably 25, 24 years of my life. And people I, I remember people looking down on me for that. The thing that happens is whenever you identify people on this list as a stereotype, it's easy to blow them off. But whenever you can put a face to this this term, um, I know people who who have people who are homosexuals in their family and they used to feel one way about it. But then when your brother, when your cousin says this is something I'm struggling with, your heart kind of warms up towards them. Um, so what, what I'm really excited about is that we can be honest about this. We can say these are things that we struggle with. We struggle with these types of people, but we need to be honest and, and kind of get over those struggles. What I want you all to do for the next two or three minutes is look over this list and just talk to somebody and say, maybe even point out which ones you have a harder time with. You know, maybe I had somebody actually this morning say the fat one, the fat people. Now, because I, when I go to Walmart and I see them on little buggies, I'm like, you put yourself there, you know. And it's kind of funny, and you're like, yeah, you can make fun of somebody, but then if you think about it, if you know somebody that's overweight, you have a tenderness towards them. Because there's lots of stuff that goes into that. It's not just somebody's lazy. A lot of times there's physical things, there's medical conditions. Um, So what I want you all to do is talk about these issues with each other for a minute. Figure out which ones you have a hard time dealing with, and and maybe figure out why why that is. Um, So just do that for a minute or two. Go ahead. Everybody in a good mood. We sure were having a lot of fellowship and, and didn't want to um, didn't want to close our mouths this morning, did we? Remember that, because we're going to get to that in the in the sermon in just a minute. That, that's a that's a great tie-in there. What we've been talking about is telling people about Christ. 
evangelism is the big uh, uh, million dollar term that we use in churches. Evangelism is no more difficult than walking across a room. But here's what we said. I'm just going to give you a, um, an overview of the last two weeks and then we'll jump into what we're talking about today. We said typically we tend to be in a circle of comfort. A circle of comfort. C of C. Say that. Circle of comfort. Now, what that means is there are certain individuals that you like to be around, certain individuals that when you see them, love is the first thought that comes to your mind. People that weren't on your list, people on your list, love is not the word. People on your list, you see at Walmart, you turn and go the other way, hoping that you get out of their sight before they see you. Right? None of y'all do that. Yeah, uh-huh. I know. Okay, yeah, some of you are being honest. Some of you have been through Celebrate Recovery. You know, the denial is the first step to uh, recovery. So anyway, we have a circle of comfort. And if our church is going to grow, and if we're going to do what God has called us to do, and if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, we have to be willing to leave that circle of comfort. We have to constantly be looking for somebody who's by themselves. Now, we have some first-time guests here today. And, and I wish we had had a lapel um, camera on them so that we could find out how many of us got out of our circle of comfort and went over and talked to them. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying when people are here for the first time and if you do not go and talk to them, they're probably not coming back. Now, I, <laughs> I don't mean you go and you try to figure out all their dirty laundry for Goodness sakes, don't share your dirty laundry. I just mean go be a friend. What we said is we got to leave your circle of comfort and go to the zone of the unknown. The zone of the unknown because that's where God intersects our lives. God uses us to touch other people in the zone of the unknown. So what we got to do is we've got to be in our circle of comfort because that's the natural place that we're going to gravitate towards. But we've got to have this other eye scanning the room. And, and I hope if I was talking to you this morning... You didn't get offended because several of you I was talking to, I walked off because I saw somebody else come in the room. And, and I love you. And we can go hang out, just the two of us, and, and you know we can go to lunch and stuff like that. But if somebody else comes in the room, I've got to go talk to them. And I want us to have that mindset that we're always scanning the room and we're always saying, God, is there somebody that I need to go shake their hand? I just need to talk to them, just need to get to know them. This is the key. Then we said last week we want to live in 3D. Because we said, <clears throat> it's one thing to be willing to walk into the zone of the unknown. But what do you do when you get there? Well, the first D is, you've got to develop friendships. You are going into the zone of the unknown with no agenda whatsoever. You don't have this rehearsed speech. I've been trained in all of those. <laughs> had to do that in, in seminary and had to do that in various churches. Where you have this memorized script that you're supposed to go through. It's like you're a door-to-door salesman. No, that's not what we're asking you to do. You go into the zone of the unknown. The whole purpose is to develop friendships. And then the, the next thing you're going to do is discover stories. Because everybody has a story. And you're going to hear somebody's story today. We've got an interview that we're going to show you. Uh, one of our folks that, that comes to our church. And then the last thing, the last D is, I'm, I'm going to discover stories so that I can discern what the next steps are to help that person get closer to God. All right, so it all revolves around this person. Everything we do and say and everything um, that we're thinking about revolves around them, not us. We become a genuine friend and then God does some incredible things, opens up some incredible opportunities. Well, today we're going to talk about the power of stories. That's your first uh, 
First thing on your listening guide is stories are powerful. Words are powerful. Now, if if you've read any of the Bible, you'll see this. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, stories are powerful. I've, I've been teaching my kids the stories since they were in Janie's womb. We used to read stories to them. We used to play Christian music when they were in the womb. We want our kids to be saturated with this stuff. And sometimes we'll be hearing, you know, something on the radio and they'll go, oh, I've heard that story. Or they'll have memorized the scriptures. Like, oh, I know that, that verse. I've memorized that verse. I know that story. Stories are powerful. Of course, my kids also, when we go places, they'll always say, Daddy, tell us a story. Now, Caleb's heard enough of them that he's tired of hearing them. He wants to hear new stories. Hannah, though, is just seven and she'll say, Daddy, tell us that story where... And sometimes I'll just bait her and say, well, what happened? And she'll tell me the whole story. Now you tell it, Dad. Because she wants to hear those stories of my heritage, of her mom's heritage. Well, in the Bible, stories are incredibly powerful. And what I want to do is I want to give you just a flash flood of examples of the power of words from Scripture. So we're going to fly through several verses here. They'll be up on the screen. If you have your Bibles, and, and by the way, we are, we are looking at a building. We're in the process of, of negotiations. We've actually, we've signed a contract. They haven't signed it yet, so we're, we're going through that. We're going we're gonna to be talking about some incredible stuff that God's already done. We're going to be talking about this incredible stuff that God's going to have to do if we're going to get in this building. Um, so we're going to need you to be praying about all of that stuff. Uh, so just be thinking about all of that. But the words are powerful. Now, let's look at these verses real quickly. Ecclesiastes 6.11 The more words you speak, the less they mean, so why overdo it? Some of you want to memorize that and share that with a family member right now, don't you? Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't use them that way. You'll get in trouble. Um, What this means is use sparsely, succinctly. Words carry great meaning. Psalm 119.130 As your words are taught, they give light. Even the simple can understand them. Words can be like... Uh, like a light in the darkness and can give people who don't understand understanding. Proverbs twelve eighteen. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. What is the opposite of wise? Dumb, stupid, ignorant. Yeah, we could, we could make a list there. Okay. Reckless words from stupid, dumb, ignorant people pierce our souls, don't they? But wise words, just the opposite, wise words can bring healing. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even tempered. So this says when used with restraint, your words actually prove that you're a person of knowledge. Have you ever been described as a person of knowledge? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to just let that one slide. Uh, there's too much, too much material. Um, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 9.17. I'll just respond with this one. The quiet words of a wise person are better than the shouts of a foolish king. Um, <laughs> oh, my. I'm so sorry. This was already in here. That was not planned. I'm um, <laughs> oh, and then here's the next. This is already planned. I'm sorry. Because the question, next question was, do you know people who are too loud? <laughs> I am not kidding. This is in, in my, I typed these words out several days ago. They're always spouting off. <laughs> oh, that wasn't planned, but it couldn't have been any better if it was. Now, other than Danae, 
Um, how do you respond to people that, that are always hot-headed, that are always piercing you with, with their words? Do you respond favorably? No. No, and, and, and I, I love Danae, and I've just given her a hard time um, because I've seen God work in her life, and I've seen her use words as well in, to bring healing in other people's lives. So, so okay, we're, we're done with that. <laughs> Proverbs 16:24. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. I, I think it's probably been way too long since some of us have heard sweet words said to us and about us. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10:12. It is pleasant to listen to wise words, but the speech of fools brings them to ruin. A fool is consumed by his own lips. You've seen it. You've probably done it when you said something and you say, I can't believe I said that. I take it back. I take it. Once they're out, you can't take them back and the damage is done. And it takes it hurts and it takes a long time to get back over that. Um, the words from a wise man or wise woman's mouth are filled with grace. So you can tell real quickly whether I uh, whether I'm being controlled by God's spirit or my spirit. It's the way my words come out. If they're filled with grace, then, then I'm following God. If they're not, then I'm following Doug. And last is Deuteronomy 32.2. My teaching will fall on you like rain. My speech will settle like dew. My words will fall like rain on tender grass, like gentle showers on young plants. So the image here is words can and should be like a gentle, refreshing rain on a tender plant. Here it is. This is on your listening guide. Humble words. Healing words. You're going to have to write quickly. Humble words. Healing words. Wise words. Gentle words. Grace-filled words. So the question is, are these the type of words that you're known for speaking? If we were to do an anonymous poll with people, with your friends, with people you work with, with the folks who share uh, the house with you under the same roof, would they say that you are known for sharing grace-filled words? Is that normal for you? Words of encouragement, words of grace, or is it not? Let's take this morning. Think about the last thing you've said before you walked in the door back there. Think about who you were talking to, what you were talking about, and then the question is, were your words inspiring and grace-filled? Were they life-giving or life-draining? Now, it's interesting that, that God allows such power to inhabit our words, isn't it? For good or bad, there is power in our words. And it seems that if we could find a way to use words in a humble, grace-filled, inspiring way, then maybe we could change the perceptions, the incredibly bad perceptions of Christians that are out there. And if we're real honest, we've got to admit that we're part of the problem, the reason that Christians have a bad name. Uh, we did this interview with Steve DeVault. Uh, Steve's been coming to our church for three or four years. Four years. He came... Um, just after we'd been a church a year, he came when we were meeting in the, in the uh, computer shop. And I want you to hear his impression of uh, Christians as he was growing up. Watch this video.
was raised uh, very, not necessarily the church was completely horrific. I, my, my father was an atheist who did not believe in God. And, uh, anything that came on to do to television with to do with church or any time I wanted to go to church with a friend, it was like, no, all those people wanted to do money or, uh, you know, or they were just complete hypocrites. So from the time I was like eight years old, ten years old, really kind of when he knew, I knew he was wrong. And I usually hung on every word my dad said, but I was like, this is not right. I, I know there is a God. And growing up, I, you know, through my teens, through my twenties and all that, I really just didn't have anything to do, you know, with any kind of godly living or anything other than just you know, I was having fun and doing some of that. But Absolutely not. I mean, no, I never, uh, I never put God as this much focus by any means in my life. Um, in fact, I, I honestly very frequently would make almost fun of Christians or, or anybody. I was like, oh, brother, another holy roller or another Jesus freak or you know, something like that. But I really didn't understand. Really, nobody had really approached me that was any what any, any way approachable, you know, you know they just seemed very different from who I was at the time. Well, they always were, you know, pretended to be such good people, oh, we're the best, we, we love everybody, and yet Christians as a whole are completely exclusionary to these people, you know, either they'll, you know, as a group, make you feel bad, or you need to change this, or you need to change that, or, you know, they'll just, you, you end up leaving out of your own sense of, I don't belong here, is really what, what ends up happening, I think, with Christians. What can we do to change, radically change these perceptions, stuff that, that Steve had? Because he didn't think Christians um, cared about him. And, and he's probably right. What can we do? Well, I think there's two areas, two types of stories, two, two um, groups of words that we could, um, we could learn to, to share more effectively that would completely change the perceptions of Christians. The first area has to do with... Um, uh, with God, who God is and what He's done. And the second area is in my story about God, what God has done for me personally. And that's where we're going to go today. We're going to talk about what you do when you get in the zone of the unknown and you actually have an opportunity to sell, uh, tell someone about Christ. Now, here's what we're going to do. These next, these next two points are really the whole... Um, focus of our, our message today. So I want you to I want to practice something with you first though, because I want you to apply this to you if you're a Christ follower. If you're not a Christ follower yet, then you don't have to say this. You don't have to apply it. This this is this part's not for you. So I'm gonna say every Christ follower, and then if you if you know Christ, if you are a Christ follower, you say, that means me. Just say that means me. Just try it. That means me. Okay, so I say every Christ follower. Alright, one more time. Every Christ follower. Everyone needs to learn, here it is, to tell God's story. And when I say that, some of you are just going to freak out because <laughs> you're going to think, I don't know what to say. Well, help is on the way. Um, I have a hunch that if you will commit yourself 
to being a walk across the room type person. If you'll commit yourself to living in 3D, discovering friendships and, and, and discovering stories and, and discerning next steps, then God is spiritually speaking, he's going to blow some doors wide open for you. Uh, and, and I think that, that when somebody says something to you about, you know, tell me about God in your life, I think, I think after today, if you'll apply what we're going to do today, I think you'll say, man, you want to go there? Oh, dude, I'll be brief, but here's what God means to me. And I'm going to tell you just a very easy way to explain who God is and what he's done. Because God has this life-changing story, and your job and my job is to learn to tell this life-changing story well. But if we were to test it right now, if I were to call you individually up here right now and ask you to tell God's story, what would you do? Deer in the headlights. If somebody in your sphere of influence were to come up and say, Hey, Joe, or Hey, Alex, or Hey, Ann, or Stanley, or Hey, Mandy, and, and they were to say, You know, I really appreciate your friendship. We've been friends for a long time, and, and um, I really appreciate you not ever pushing the God thing on me. I know God's important in your life, and, and I know you probably know that, that my life would be better if I did this God thing, but you've been so patient with me. But, you know... My life is kind of taking a turn for the worse. My wife and I, we're having struggles in our marriage, and we've decided that maybe we would try church. Maybe we would try this God thing as a last-ditch effort before we call it quits. I was just wondering if maybe you would tell me a little bit about God. Because, you know, I don't want to jump headlong into it. What is it about God that attracts so many people to Him? What is it about God? Is He really necessary to life? What would you say? Oh. Watching Everybody Loves Raymond and something like that happened. You know what he did? Called the pastor. Come on right now. Got the answer machine. This is really important. And that's okay. But what if they don't know me? And what if the whole reason God put them in your life is for you to tell them about God? That's what we're going to look at. That's what we call in sophisticated theological terms a wide open door. <laughs> and, and I hope that after we finish today, you will, you will look at that wide open door in a different way. Because right now you might go, oh, I don't know what to say. And run away. But after today, you'll know. The next time you find yourself in this type of situation, here's what I want you to do. I want you to commit something like what I'm going to show you today. doesn't have to be this, but you've got to know something. This is, this is what I use all the time. been using this for years because it's simple. You can, you can sketch this out on a, on a napkin um, over lunch or dinner. You can, you can draw it in the dirt if you need to. Whatever you need to do, learn to sketch this out. And, and I think you've actually got some space somewhere on your listening guide. You can draw this out. This is so simple. What you have to do is you have to, do, you have to uh, come to grips with the fact that there are two people you've got to talk about. All right? One is people or us. You can just put it either way. And then the other being is God. And, and you've got you to establish that there are two beings. There are human beings and there is this God being. Now, the reality is God designed us and He wants to have a relationship with us. But ever since the first man and woman were on the earth, there's been a problem because we want to do things our own way. And what we've done has separated us from God. And so people, people know this instinctively that there is a God. I mean, Steve said at eight, he began to understand that his dad was wrong. There is a God. 
And people understand that there's a God and they understand that they're not anywhere near him. And so what people do is they try human effort to try to get over this huge chasm. They'll try things like going to church. They'll try things like giving to uh, goodwill. They'll try things like hugging a tree. You know, good for the environment stuff. Green is so politically correct right now. They'll try all of this stuff, and it doesn't take long to realize that there is no human way to get across this chasm. It is physically, humanly impossible. And if that was the end of the story, we'd just say, eat, drink, and be merry, because we live and then we die. But the story doesn't stop there, because God looked down and He had compassion. And he said, you know, like you do when you look at your child who's trying to do something they cannot do and you reach down and help them. God looked down and he said, people can't do it. So I'm going to do it for them. And he looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus, I want you to go and make a bridge. And so if you remember nothing else about this whole illustration, remember that Jesus became our bridge. And there went my ink. Have no fear. It's a different color, but we should be able to work. Oh, green. Remember that Jesus became the bridge to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And John 5.24 says this. I tell you the truth. Jesus was talking. Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Jesus said, if you believe that he's from God, if you believe God sent Jesus then when you believe, you ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life, you cross over from here to over here into God's family. And the only way, according to Jesus, the founder of Christianity, that you get from there to there is you ask Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through Jesus. Now, at this point in the illustration, what I generally do is I say to people, where do you see yourself on this diagram? In other words, if you were to put an X where you see yourself in relation to God, where would it be? Some people, and, and I've had every response you can imagine. Some people will put an X right here next to the chasm, right here next to the cross. Man, I'm close. I haven't done the deal yet. I haven't stepped across yet, but, but I'm really close. I've had people just say, oh, dude, I'm over here. And if they say I'm in God's family, I say, tell me about that. There has to be a time. Because you don't just by osmosis become a child of God. If I go to McDonald's, that doesn't make me a happy meal. If I hang out in my garage, that doesn't make me a car. Just hanging out at church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because your mama was a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. You have to. When I stood up at my wedding, I wear a wedding ring because there was a point in time when I said, I do. I promise my life to this woman. We have it on video. We watch it often. I remember doing that. There is a point in time. Now, I'm not saying you have to remember the exact date because I don't remember the exact date. I do know I walked down the aisle and I said, I need Jesus. And I prayed and I was baptized. I remember all of that stuff. But I say, tell me when you, when you became a member of the family of God because just like you were born once, Jesus said you've got to be born again spiritually to get into God's family. So if they're over there, I want to know. But then people have said, oh, dude, if this represents, you know, how close I am to God, and they'll mark an X way over here, just as far as they can on the, on the sheet of paper. I'm nowhere near that God stuff. Ask Steve five, six years ago, where are you? And in fact, in a minute, he's going to tell you where he was on the scale when he first came to, to our church. 
But I've had people say, oh, if this, is, if this represents my relationship to God, I'm like in the next room. Because I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near giving my heart to God. Um, you want people to be real honest about where they are on the scale because that's the whole deal that tells you how to pray for them. That tells you what next steps you need to take to help them get closer to Christ. Because people are all over the map when it comes to how close they are to God. And let me represent it this way. Let's say that... Um, here's a timeline. And let's say that right here, this is a person who is uh, hell-bound, skirt-chasing, cocaine-snorting, profane, I am openly against God person. He's minus ten in his relationship to God. Well, you can do all of these little steps here. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. All of these negative numbers till you get to this zero right here. This would be zero, and that would be the point that they came to Christ. And then the positive numbers over here at number 10, positive 10, that would be Billy Graham. And none of us are even close to that, so... So don't, don't say you're a positive 10 unless you're Billy, unless you're, you know, leading millions of people to Christ. And you know people all over the place in between there. Now, here's the deal when you tell God's story. This is what you are called to do. You were never called to get somebody here. You were never called to get someone to cross the line of faith as if you could do that. That's God's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job and mine is to learn to tell this story about God well and effectively and then trust Him. Because our job is to take someone wherever they are. If they're at a minus ten, I see my job as to help them move to a minus nine. I'm to tell God's story, leave everything up to Him, but I'm to try to pray and help that person move to a minus nine. Nothing more, nothing less. If they're a minus one, then I may get to be there when they pray. And there is no cooler feeling than having somebody say, I want that. How do I get it? And I've, I've had that opportunity. But your job and mine is to move them one step closer to God. Now, to wrap this idea up, this, this God story idea up, you may, you may choose to use a different illustration. There's all kinds out there, but here's the point. No one of them... <laughs> No one well so that if, if uh, someone comes to you and they have this wide open door, you are ready to tell this very succinct story about God and you can help them move one step closer to God. Just remember this. Whatever words you use, they need to be healing words, wise words, gentle words, grace-filled words, humble words. You can't transform their heart. God can. You just tell the story and let God do the rest. Make sense? All right? Every Christ follower? I've already forgotten. Uh, I'm so disappointed. Every Christ follower needs to learn to tell my story. All right? Write that down. That's on your list again. You need to learn to tell your story. Not only does God have a story, which is what we just looked at, but you have a story, a powerful story, and your job is to learn to tell it well. I am so pumped about this possibility. If you'll do what I ask you to do at the end of the sermon, if you'll do this, you will learn how to tell your story well, and God is going to rock your world when you're prepared. Um, do you believe what I said, that you have a powerful story? Be honest. Some of you said yes. 
Most of you didn't say anything because you don't believe it. When I was a kid, I used to tell my neighbor's story because it was more exciting than my story. I'm, I'm, I'm honest. <laughs> my brother would say, you know, my brother was a youth minister at this time, and he'd say, Doug, I want you to give your testimony. You know, I want you to tell about what God's done. And I said, can I tell Mikey's story? <laughs> my brother said, no. And, and I, at, you know, at 10 years old, I was like, but Mikey's is better, you know. He's gone through all this junk. I wasn't chasing women at six when I gave my life to Christ. I wasn't dealing with drugs and alcohol. You have a powerful story, and I'm going to show you why. Um, in, in the Bible, in Luke chapter 5, there's a guy who has a story, and I think you're going to relate to this some way or another. Because regardless how old you were when you came to faith in Christ, you were different, hopefully, you're different now than you were then. Well, let me show you this in Luke chapter 5. One day in one of the villages, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him in prayer and said, If you want to, you can cleanse me. This is one of my favorite stories because look what Jesus says. Jesus put out his hand, touched him and said, I want to be clean. That's awesome. If you want to, this guy knew. Jesus, you're the one. If you want to, Jesus. That's what he came to do. I want to be clean. And then look what it says. Then and there his skin was smooth. The leprosy was gone. Now, you've got to use your imagination and get into this story. Because his skin was rotting, decaying, stunk. It was falling off of his body. Jesus reaches out because in that society, these people had to live outside the walls. They had to shout out, unclean, unclean, and stay away from you or they could be killed. Because they didn't understand leprosy and, and they thought that it was... It was uh, uh, communicated through touch, and so you had to stay away from him. Jesus reaches out, breaks all the social customs, touches the man, and the man watches all of his sores that were festering and rotting. He sees them cleansed. Do you think that made an impression in his life? <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but, but if something really good happens to me and I'm by myself, I talk to myself. <laughs> I'm like, no way. And if you ever see me in the car and I'm by myself and I'm talking, something good probably happens. Well, hopefully. If I'm in the car, it may be something bad and you don't want to know what I said. But if something good happens, I'm going, no way. And so I imagine this guy walking around going, before I was outside the city walls, I was an outcast. But now I'm accepted. Before, I was rotting. Death was all I wanted. I counted the days until I died. But now, I want to live. Now I'm accepted. Now I'm whole. There is nothing cooler. And what do you think he said to people he came across? Because they're going, dude, last week I saw you, you stunk. <laughs> what happened? Nothing. No, nothing. Right. If you've been healed... You tell everyone. Now, I don't know which part of his story he honed in on. You know, the outcast, the I stunk, I was dead. I don't know which part. That would have been between him and God, right? But here's the point, and this is what every one of us has. Every one of us has a before and an after. Before Christ, then you come to that point where you say, I'm ready to walk across the faith. I'm ready to be invited into God's family. And you have an after. And so before Christ, maybe this is you. I'm just throwing out some words here. We're going to put these on the screen just for you to think about. Before Christ, I was restless. 
Before Christ, I was wandering. Before Christ, I was depressed, filled with guilt, self-destructive. You fill in the blank. I don't know what your life was like. But if you met Christ and He wonderfully invades your life and wrecks your life with grace and love and acceptance, that changes you. And I'd be willing to bet that if you've not been changed, you've not really met Christ. Because I have never found someone who, who has met Christ who was the same. Because when you get accepted by the God of the universe, that changes you. So, your after story might be something like this. I was restless, but now I'm at peace. I was wandering, but now I've found a home. Depressed, but now uh, I'm filled with hope. Filled with guilt, but now no longer bound by my past. Self-destructive, but now I see myself as valued by God. Your own before and after story is simple. I was this, now I'm this. The difference, Jesus Christ has come into my life. It doesn't have to be any more special than that. It just has to be humble, succinct, and true. Don't be telling stuff about your before that's not true. Don't be telling Mikey's story. Because God put you in that person's life probably because they would relate to you. Not Mikey or Doug or somebody else. Tell your story and it's true. How simple is that? This is what I was like before Christ. Here's how I met Christ. How simple is that? Is that too difficult for you to do? Y'all aren't going to answer. If I answer, he's going to make me do it. <laughs> is that too difficult for you to do? No, it's not. Now, this is simple, the before and after thing. But too many times I've seen stories, Christian stories, derail. I've done some of these things. I'm going to tell you why your before and after story or why your whole story may derail. Here's the first reason you could derail this whole uh, deal of your friend moving one step closer to Christ. Faith stories derail when a Christ follower just won't shut up. <laughs> you ever been around somebody that, that no matter what signal you're sending them of disinterest, they won't quit talking? You wonder if they're ever going to take a breath? Truth-telling. I don't remember when this was, but it was fairly recently. I was caught by someone telling me a story. And I started praying to God against them. Not like kill them, you know. But I was going, oh dear God. Because I was in a big hurry. And, and they were telling me stuff, and they kept repeating the same things over and over and over and over. And I'm going, uh, i got to go. And I wasn't trying to be rude at all. I mean, you know, it was like I had Janie and the kids in the car. <laughs> i got to go. And they don't care. And, and, and I do. I start praying. I start saying, God, give me grace and help them shut up. <laughs> I'm being honest. Have you ever been there? You can derail and actually send somebody away when you as a storyteller are oblivious to the signal somebody's given you. All right. So realize that go all the way back. A person of few words is wise. <laughs> all right. Second reason a faith story can derail is when a Christ follower is fuzzy about the before and after. How many of you have flown? 
You flown? Um, I don't know if you've ever been on a plane when it's in a holding pattern. I was in one for about three hours one time, and we were actually thinking that, that the plane's going to run out of gas. And we're flying, you know, you're looking out the window and going, there's Dallas. And then you're like, I don't know where that is. I think we're over Wichita Falls now, you know. And you're going, oh, you're going crazy because you're, you're ready to get out of there. Well, sometimes people will get going on so many different storylines that the listener gets frustrated about the destination. <laughs> they get frustrated and, and actually discouraged because they think you're coming in for a landing. And there's a point to your story and you take off again. <laughs> okay, i got to tell the truth again. Um... We used to talk about this in sermons, and I'm sure y'all, I, I should never tell you this because you're going to do this to me now. Um, but I, I usually have points so that you know exactly when I'm done. Because I remember being in, in revival services that have been going on for hours, and he would come in for a landing and he'd take off again. Don't do that with your faith story. You don't have that much time. You need to know, here's what I was like before Christ, because people want to know. What made the difference in you? Here's, here's what I was. Here's what I am now. The whole difference is Jesus Christ. And, and I'm going to tell you how you can make that very simple in just a minute. Third reason faith stories derail is when a Christ follower lays out a string of four-syllable Christianese. Words that no one outside the family of faith could possibly understand. Watch, uh, watch this video and, and see how they go. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of God. Thou shalt no longer be termed forsaken. Now, um, just leave it there, Drew, because we'll do we'll hit the hit the thing in a second. Go ahead and turn the lights on for just a second. Um, I was talking to Caleb this morning about hymns because we were listening to this CD and there's actually a hymn on there. And my son doesn't know hymns because he didn't grow up in a traditional church. And uh, one of the, the hymns we used to sing was, Let Angels Prostrate Fall. And, um, and I've had people say, Prostrate? Isn't that what you go see the doctor for? And like, no, 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 that's not it. And, and you can actually confuse people with these Christianese words. And we have them, don't we? We work real hard not to use those words here. Um, I can talk to you about ecclesiastical diadems. I can talk to you about um, eschatological um, consequences of um, premillennial, postmillennial, and amillennial positions. Anybody know what that means? I do, but I don't care. And I don't think the average person cares. They just want to know the simple before and after stuff. And then there's one, re one final reason why um, faith stories derail. And, and you've got to know this. And this is something that Steve actually shared um, in his story. I skipped the second one, didn't I? The second Steve story? I did. We'll go back to that. Um, it'll work right here after you show this one. Um, if you feel that you are superior to the other person, if you play the superiority card, they've left the building. 
Here's the superiority card, and then we'll watch the Steve video. No, it's just, just go ahead. Let's see it again. A crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, a royal diamond in the hand of God. Thou shalt no longer be termed forsaken. Now, is there a continue button on there? Should be another one. Okay. Well, let's listen to the Steve interview then, and I want you to hear where he would identify himself on this scale, this minus 10 scale to the plus one. You got that one? And 
it's when you claim Christianity and you don't live it to the loss of ignorance of that, you know, the negative flesh. And uh, all you have to do is, is really, I think, just be friendly. Walk across the room with everybody to attack them. You know, you for people and you say, look, this is, this is a good way to live. who was blameless before God. And blameless doesn't mean sinless. Blameless means that when he messed up, he confessed. If he offended someone, he went and he made things right. That's called integrity. And I think that most of us as Christians, as Christians have not had integrity in our lives. There's, there's been this, this disconnect between what goes on on Sunday mornings and what happens the rest of the week, and people see that. Our, our children see that. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been in the Christianese church. I've been in the superior, we thought we were superior to the world. We, we get inside the holy huddle and, and we try to stay away from those type people. And that rotted my soul. And so we want to rub elbows with far from God people. Um, we want to build a place for folks that we've actually said we want this church to be a church for people who hate church. If you've tried them all, you hate them, come check us out. Because we're going to be real. We're going to tell you when we mess up. We're going to come to you. Uh, we're going to ask for forgiveness. If, if you mess up and, and it's a big mess up, you know, one or two of us are going to show up and say, hey, we love you. This has happened. Uh, I don't like conflict, but the Bible says this is how we're supposed to do it, so we're going to do it like the Bible says because it's God's Word. We just want to be real. A real church for real people with real problems, but we believe that God's Word provides real answers. Is that true? If that's true, we've got to live it. So, you've got to learn to tell God's story, but you've got to learn to tell your story. And here's what I want you to do. This week, don't put it off, because I'm going to check you next week. This week, I want you to write down your story. hundred words or less. The fewer words, the better. Tell your before and after story in a hundred words or less. And if you would like, I would love this. If you would like, email your story to me. Not that I'm an expert, but I'll read through it, and, and I've been doing this a while. And, and be ready for some constructive criticism. If you're using Christianese, I'm going to say, whoa, I'll circle a word or something, you know, put it in a red font and say, lose this. Um, because the point is not to get a hundred on your paper. The point is to make a difference for all eternity in someone else's life. So don't you want your story to be effective, to be on target? No... Touch and go landings, no Christianese, no superiority. We want to use humble, grace-filled, spirit-filled, 
healing words as we talk about our story. And, and if you'll do that, I promise, if you will prepare, because a lot of folks will say, well, I never have any opportunity to tell someone about God. You want to know why? You're not ready. God's not going to waste something as important as someone's eternal destiny on someone who doesn't even bother to prepare. You get prepared and God will bring you across people. He'll open doors that you never even saw because Jesus said, my father is always at work. Jesus speaks truth. God's word is truth. He said, my father is always at work. There are spiritual things going on in this room right now. It was not an accident that you are here today. You can claim all kinds of coincidences, and I I can tell you how God was behind every one of those coincidences. It's no coincidence that four years ago, Steve showed up at the computer shop and walked away. You, You know what he said was the number one thing he remembers about that? He said, people were glad that I was there. That had never happened to him in his life when he went to church. People were glad that I was there. He's still hanging around. Went from a minus four, minus five into positive territory. So we've got to be ready. So if you'd be willing to do that, I want you to send it to me. If you don't have email, write it out and and just give it to me next Sunday. I I would love to read through your stories. When when I have dinner with people, I always ask them about if they're married, how did you meet? Because I like to hear their stories and and never found somebody yet who doesn't tell me their story. They like telling their story. And I also ask people, tell me about your church background. I want to know... Where you are. And, and I may not even draw this for them, but I want to know where they are on the scale because my job is to help them move one step closer. And if I'll be faithful and you'll be faithful, incredible stuff happens. So take your registration cards.